we're in a new series, The Elephant in the Room, and uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. So look it up in your Bible. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you right from the back. Just raise your hand high, and they'll bring one right to you. And if you need one at home, just take it with you, because we want you reading God's Word yourself. In fact, you know, Pastor Eric is so cool. I'm so glad he's here. And he has two youth services every Sunday at 9.30 and 11. But then on the first Sunday of the month, like today, they, they cancel those and they just all come to big church. And uh, so they get involved helping to uh, greet and to usher and uh, to read scripture. So who's my reader? Mechanic, come on up here. And uh, we're going to read Matthew 5, 13 to 16. So come on up here. Let me ask you a couple questions first. What, what, uh, what year are you in school? Where are you? I'm in eighth grade. Where? At Miguel Hills Middle School. Okay, that's cool. How long have you been coming to South Shores? Since the summer after third grade. So, so help me do the math. Years. Man, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> summer after third grade is a long time ago for some of you. <laughs> okay, well, it's good to have you here. Look, they're not that scary, are they? All right, well, go ahead. Read us God's Word. That's good to have you here. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, what page are you on? Oh, no, I don't have it on the right page. You have to open yours. There you go. <laughs> you were scaring me there with that terror stuff. Thank you. You did a good job. <laughs> you know, when we were in Nepal, there were several times where Paul Eshelman would just look at me and say, you're going to preach. They go, oh, I'm preaching today. And uh, so we went to one of these. There was a training. You saw one of the pictures of all these people who are in training to be evangelists. And there were about, I don't know, 50 or 60 in the room, I think. And so Paul said, well, he was going to speak and I was going to speak. We each had 10 minutes. And um, I'm not talking behind his back since he's here, okay? But he got up and talked, and he waxed eloquent for about eight minutes. And then he said, the five key elements of evangelism are... I thought, he's got a minute and a half. He's going to cover five things <laughs> anyway. He, went, he talked a little longer than his two minutes, actually a little longer than ten more minutes. And um, he did a good job, but he only covered the first two points. And so afterwards I said, Paul, what were the other three points? So... Um, he told me what they were, and then later that night he said, now you're going to go preach, I'm not going. So I just said, I'm going to just use those points to I'll just finish his sermon for him. Because we, well, I was at a different place, but it was kind of fun to say, let's take this into what, what is important about sharing God's word. So when McKenna started reading this about the terror stuff over here, I thought, oh, I don't have a sermon ready quite right for that. I want to look at, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And, you know, when Jesus began his ministry... 
And we're looking at the life and teachings of Jesus because we believe that he's God and he came into this world to redeem and uh, to claim us as his own. And so Jesus started by going through all the towns and villages, preaching and teaching and doing miracles and inviting people to follow him. So his first major theme was, follow me, follow me. And he said to some fishermen, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left their nets and they followed him. And those who followed him were called his disciples. And those who heard him talk and just thought, well, that's a nice talk, are called in the Bible, they're called the crowd. Now, you're either one or the other. You're either part of the disciples or you're a part of the crowd. Which one are you today? And uh, he's, he's talking to us. And so this, this elephant in the room, the idea is that the elephant is in the room is that Jesus is calling his disciples to be in this world, but to live by the values of his kingdom, which are counterculture to this world. So you'll be in tension if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ and try to live in this world. If you're not having attention, then maybe you're not one of his followers because the Bible says you, you can't do both. You can't be of the world and be of Christ at the same time. And at some point, Jesus gathered his disciples around and he said, now look, I want to teach you how to think. Think like me. And he gave them the, what we've called the Beatitudes. And when you summarize the Beatitudes that we've just spent the last few weeks talking about, when you are poor in spirit, when you're mourning, when you're humble, when you're thirsty for righteousness, Jesus said, you're blessed. You're blessed. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought like that. I'm blessed when I'm having those kind of problems and, or kind of situations. And I think the disciples listening to Jesus might have come to this conclusion. You know, the problem is the world. I'm trying to live for Jesus, but I'm living in the world with all of its attitudes and its agenda. And if I'm going to live like Jesus, maybe then I should just withdraw from the world, maybe go live in a monastery or hide out in the mountains or go camp in the wilderness, and then I could live a good, clean life. But that's not what Jesus said. And that's not what Jesus did. In fact, when Jesus saw the world was going to hell, he didn't abandon it. That's when he came to join it. And to offer a much better alternative. How about this? I'll offer you life in heaven, adopted as one of God's children. That's good news. That's what he's offered us. That's why we're still talking about him today. So immediately after talking about how, to, how fully devoted followers of Jesus will suffer persecution in this world, Jesus gives this command that we find right here. You're the salt of the earth. Now, keep your Bible open right there. I was reminded of a sermon that John Maxwell did. He was a pastor for a while in San Diego and a really bright guy, and he's talked to a lot of people. But on one particular Sunday, he got up in church and he said to everybody, what was the main point of the sermon I preached last Sunday? Oh, some of you see you can't remember right off, huh? Yeah, yeah that's why your laughter's giving you away. And I'm not asking you that. I didn't, didn't want to put you on the spot. And nobody volunteered. So he looked at his wife, who's sitting on the front row, and he said, Margaret, what was the main point of my sermon last Sunday? Well, Margaret got a little flustered and embarrassed and, and, and flushed, but she said, I'm sorry, John, I don't remember the main point of your sermon last Sunday. John, what was the main point of your sermon last Sunday? And John then all of a sudden goes, I can't remember. <laughs> So if you can remember one point, it's a win, okay? Here's what you got to remember. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This sermon that Jesus preached thousands of years ago, we remember. And Jesus started with follow me and then think like me. And now he's saying live like me. Live like me. 
and shine like me. I mean, the big idea is that fully devoted followers of Jesus affect the world through their holy living and their good works. That God's citizens influence the society around them. They penetrate, penetrate the society for its good and for God's glory. And these actions flow from a choice to follow Jesus with our whole lives and result in bringing glory to God. I mean, fully devoted followers are not called only to a life of private piety. Although your spiritual disciplines that you practice in private are important. They're not enough. They're not the only thing. Fully devoted followers are called to have no compromise and no conformity uh, to the world. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian, and he happened to be in England when World War II was heating up. And while Christians in Germany were working diligently to avoid persecution by compromising their faith, Bonhoeffer found a way to get himself back into Germany to help make a stand for Jesus Christ. He made this statement, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. Our job as fully devoted followers is to draw people to Jesus. And Jesus tells us how to do this with two verbal images. Live like me, he says. Here's your responsibility. Be salty salt. Salt is a mineral that's been around for a long time. It was even in, it had already been discovered in Jesus' day. You need salt. Your body has about four ounces of salt. And without it, your heart isn't going to work. Your muscles aren't going to work. And salt has four primary qualities. Number one, it's used to preserve food. I mean, we preserve a lot of our food in the refrigerator or in the freezer, but before those were invented, people discovered they could preserve fish, meat, vegetables, other foods with salt. Without salt, food spoils so quickly. Salt prevents decay. And Jesus is calling his disciples to something that's necessary and valuable, to be agents in this world that preserve what is good and make it last longer. Second, salt is used to purify. Bacteria and many forms of fungus cannot survive in a salty environment, so salt is used to purify. Third, salt flavors. You know, many foods just taste better with salt. Can you imagine eating popcorn without salt? Or bacon? Or even your favorite cakes and ice cream and cookies have some salt in them. Of course, you know, too much salt all in your mouth at once is unpleasant. And although it looks like sugar, you'd never substitute salt in your coffee or your tea. I mean, there's a balance of not too much and not too little, just enough salt. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, and our job is to preserve what is good and to purify situations and conversations and to season and to flavor. So... Salt all piled up in a salt shaker doesn't really do any good. I mean, it doesn't even emit a positive aroma. Salt has to get out a little bit here, a little bit there, and be sprinkled into different situations, kind of like believers. You get us all together. It, I mean, we're kind of like in the salt shaker today, but really where we do our best work is when we're out there in our communities and in our homes and when we're standing up for Christ and speaking up for him and uh, being the salt of the earth. Devoted followers, Jesus says, go be salt in the world. And then the fourth thing, salt creates thirst. I mean, if you've ever eaten something salty like beef jerky or french fries from Five Guys, I mean, pretty soon you're wanting to drink water. And you've heard the quote, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Yeah, but 
You give him enough salt and the horse will want to drink water. You know, you can't force anybody to follow Jesus, but if we live out what Jesus commanded us to do, to be the salt of the earth, salt in this world, we can help people become thirsty for what's missing in their life, and they'll see Jesus in us. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, here's the thing. Salt's a mineral. It doesn't lose its saltiness, and Jesus knew that. That's why he's saying it's impossible for salt to lose its saltiness, and it's really impossible for a fully devoted follower of Christ not to be salt in this world. We know Jesus here is talking about the purity of the salt. The salt mined out of the Dead Sea had a lot of gypsum in it, so it looked pure, but it's weakened down by its impurities. The salt is often was, that kind of salt would be put on the road, and it would at least, you know, as it's trampled underfoot, would keep the weeds from growing. Jesus is saying, fully devoted followers live pure lives. Don't weaken your witness by living in sin like the world. And don't just stay clumped up with other Christians. Get yourself sprinkled out into this sinful world. Be salty salt. The disciples must be distinctive and involved there to make the world a better place. Jesus called us to something that's rare and necessary and valuable because your job and mine in this world is to preserve and to purify and to produce a desire in the world to know Jesus Christ. An impure life will dilute or destroy your witness, and it won't be anything useful for Christ's kingdom. Paul said it this way in Colossians 4. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So last week, in case you missed the main point, it was Christian, you will suffer. You will be persecuted for your faith in this world. So get ready. And this week he's saying, be salt in the world. Well, then this week I got an urgent email from our missionary, Peter Fredheim. I don't know if you remember, but one time we sent him $9,000 near Christmas time, and he emailed back and he said it could not have gotten here at a better time. The prices were at an all-time low, and I bought enough grain to serve 400,000 meals to the orphans in our five orphanages. I thought, wow, we better do more with this guy. Peter has been sending an email because he's in northern Nigeria, which is one of the hot spots in the world for Christians suffering for their faith. And um, so he sent this email. He said, I'm asking you for urgent prayer support. There is a group of converts in northern Nigeria that have been terribly persecuted. Some have been beaten. Some have had their houses burned down. Some have been killed. A man that led the group that has been persecuting them is known in the whole area as terrible. And they're very, all are very afraid of him. Through friendship evangelism, one of his two wives became a secret believer. At night in their house three weeks ago, she told him boldly that the people he had been persecuting are innocent and that he should stop. He yelled at her for several minutes, telling her that they deserve death since they have converted away from their religion. And then suddenly he fell asleep on his mat. Well, the two wives had never seen him do that before, so they thought he was having a stroke. So they poured cold water on him. I don't know why that would help, but anyway, but that didn't wake him up. After being asleep for five minutes, suddenly he woke up and he asked the women if they knew, how do you become a follower of Jesus? They both sat there stunned. 
and silent, dumbfounded at what they're hearing. They asked him what happened when he fell asleep, and he said, I wasn't asleep. I was having a vision. He said, suddenly a man in gleaming white sat down next to him and told him that he loved him and that he forgave him for persecuting his people. He said his name was, oh, you've read this story. No, you haven't, but it's just like out of the book of Acts, isn't it? I mean, this is what happened to Paul. It's the same thing. He said his name was Jesus and that he wanted this man to follow him. The man in white then disappeared from his presence. So that was why he was asking his wives if they know, how do you follow Jesus? He asked them to go back to their rooms because he wanted to be alone. And the secret believing wife heard him crying and weeping all night long, saying things like he was so sorry. She said she had never heard him cry before. The next morning, the other wife went to the market, and so the believing wife went and told him she did know how to follow Jesus. She shared the gospel with him. He fell on his knees, and he accepted Jesus as his Savior. Praise God. Immediately, the man traveled about two hours to the house of the leader of the converts, wanting to learn more about how do I follow Jesus? When he showed up at the house of the leader of the converts, they started to run from him when they saw him. But he said, wait, 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 don't be afraid. And he told them what happened. And they were completely amazed. They explained about Jesus and the Bible. He especially could not understand how God could forgive him. And he confessed many gruesome things that he had done to those who had been converted. One week ago, his other wife left the house to go see, where her rel- or see her relatives, and that night, men came for him. His believing wife woke him up as she heard them coming and said something about killing the traitor. She told him to run, but he said no. He said he would not run. He would remain there. So she ran away with their three children out into the bush, and she looked back to see that their house was on fire. So she made her way to the leaders of the converts, Three days ago, the group went sent somebody to the burned house to see if his body was there, and there was no body there or outside the house. We just found out, Peter said, that's from some secret believers that he's alive and he's been taken to a city where he's being interrogated and questioned by the religious leaders. Please pray for God's will to be done with this man. Already he's probably sharing Jesus with very high-level people that we would never get to share with. So then Peter, our missionary, concluded, pray for God's spirit to reign there and that even among those religious leaders that some of their eyes would be opened and they too would come to know Jesus. Pray that this man survives this and remains a strong witness for Jesus because in our experience here, he will almost certainly be killed and within days. Pray for his wives and his children. And pray for the converts. This has amazed them, and they have gotten so much encouragement and strength from his conversion and testimony. Thank God that he loves these precious people so much that he would choose to give visions that they might come to know him. Please remember, these people are not the enemy. They are blinded by the enemy, and we need to pray for their salvation. Let's pause and pray. In fact, why don't we just all pray out loud and together at the same time for Peter Fredheim and the mission work in Nigeria and the believers there. Shall we? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just pause right here before you. We need you, and these people need you, and you have done a profound thing by coming in a vision and sharing yourself 
And this man who was against you and was murdering people now suddenly is a believer. He is our brother in Christ, and you have forgiven him, and you will use him, and he will suffer much on your sake. And I pray that you will bless him and keep him strong and his family, his wives and his children, and you will be with the other converts there, and that just a great work will be done, that these people shining their lights in the dark, that the light will come alive that it will bring the light, that it will feed and restore and, and give people what they need. Thank you. Thank you that this secret believing wife was the salt of the earth and was willing to speak in a courageous moment. And you have used that way beyond even her imagination or expectation. Thank you. May we truly be salty salt. Amen. Next point that Jesus makes besides you are the salt of the earth is you are the light of the world. He says, shine like me. Now, in John 8 and John 9 and other places in the Bible, Jesus says, he, he says about himself, he says, I am the light of the world. And here he's speaking to those who have devoted themselves to follow them, him. And he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. They may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He said, be the salt of the earth. You preserve and you season. Now he's saying, be the light of the world. Illuminate and direct. Do you think these two illustrations are two distinct points, or do you think he's making one point using two word pictures? Who thinks he's making one point? I do. I think he's making the point. Light, you see, is always closely connected with life in the Bible. Starting from Genesis chapter 1, the third verse in the Bible, says God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Light thrives. Life thrives in the light. Light makes life possible. It's from the energy from the light of the sun that it feeds the, the plants in our world and causes things to grow. Light chases away the darkness. Light even indicates the presence of God. Exodus 3, God showed up to Moses in a burning bush. In Exodus 13, God leads the people out of slavery in Egypt by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. In Numbers 8, he has them light lamps in the tabernacle to indicate the presence of God. In Revelation 1, the Son of Man is among, found among the seven gold lampstands, and his eyes are like flames of fire, and stars are held in his hand, and his face is like a flaming fire. All the way from the beginning of the Bible to the end, Jesus is the light. Light chases away the darkness. It helps people to be able to see clearly. It gives them the direction that they need. It feeds them. And in John 1, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Which means it can't comprehend it. It doesn't get it. It can't put it out. <laughs> we live in a dark world. And the good news of Jesus brings light and salvation. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And like Jesus, we are the light of the world. Except Jesus is the source of the light, and we simply reflect his light. We are his reflectors. We're the ones who shine his light into the darkness of the world. We bring his good news, his salvation, his forgiveness, his peace, and his hope. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, 
excuse me, Jesus obviously had in mind that his light would reveal God to his people. And when they saw themselves in the light of God, they would move in repentance towards God to get their sin, their problems taken care of. You probably know this verse. It's John 3.16. It's one of the more famous verses in the Bible. It says, for God so loved the world, if you know it, quote it with me, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, the citizens of God's kingdom, the fully devoted followers, have come to the light and have been forgiven, and they just keep following the light. So even though we live in the dark, we're always in the light because of Christ. It's kind of like when you're driving your car down a, a country road. It might be dark everywhere, but the light on your car gives you light all the way to where you're going. As God guides your life, he's that light in your life. He will guide you. The light in the darkness brings hope. It cannot be hidden any more than you could hide a city that's on a hill. It's all lit up. You can see the lights from a long way. And they give you hope as you're moving toward him. We're almost there. And Jesus said, let your light shine. Now, Jesus is empowering his followers to be the light in the dark. And he's reminded us that we're going to reflect his light that, so that people who live in the dark would see us. Well, just last, last, last week, they had a play here on this stage. In fact, we had the props up last week, remember? And sometime, anybody here in a play when you were in school? Yeah. Oh, that's good. A lot of you. Sometimes when you're on the stage and all the light is on you on the stage, you can't see anybody out there in the dark watching you. But it would be a mistake to think, I can't see them, so they're not there. It would be a mistake to think, well, my little part doesn't matter all that much, so I don't have to do it if I don't feel like it. And it would be a mistake to think, nobody's watching me. Christian people are watching you to see if your faith makes any difference to how you live your life versus how they live theirs in the dark. Do you have fewer problems? Probably not. How do you deal with those problems? They're waiting to see if you deal with yours like they deal with theirs. How do you think about them? And do you think only about yourself or are you genuinely caring about others? Jesus said, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I got to do a mission trip to uh, Brazil one time and I was talking with missionary children while the missionaries, the Wycliffe missionaries were having a conference and there were about 30 teenagers and I spoke to them 10 times and um, it was just brilliant. It was outstanding, humbly speaking. And uh, we also would do different games. And so during one of the games, 
uh, we were playing basketball, and this one guy who was kind of um, introverted, he didn't say a whole lot, but his shoe all of a sudden, just the, the sole on his shoes just started to flap like that. So I said, you know, I have a pair. What size are you? And, and so gave him a pair of sneakers so we could keep playing the game. Didn't think about it and finished the week. Well, at the end of the week, we got back with their parents, and his mom came up almost in tears, and she said, she said I got to thank you so much for what you gave to my son. You know, and I'm thinking, well, which of the talks, you know, which of those brilliant talks was she talking about? And she said, oh, it was just such, it, said, it so impressed him when you gave him that pair of sneakers. I thought, you're going to be kidding. The sneakers is what did it, right? The, the fact that there's, you never know what you're going to do, you know, so we just need to stay humble, not be all that impressed with ourselves, because God's going to use you in some little way that you can't predict. And... God has a purpose for his fully devoted followers. He's saved you. He's forgiven you. He's given you a future home in heaven. But that's not all. He's blessed you, but not for yourself. He's blessed you to be a blessing to others. So it overflows out of your life onto others. He wants you to be faithful and to follow him and to be fruitful in your life. So he talks about useless salt. It's impossible for salt to lose its saltiness. It should be impossible for fully devoted followers to lose their followership or their witness and useless light. He says, you don't take a light and then put a, la- a basket over it and hide it. Tasteless salt's an impossibility. It would be useless. Lighting a lamp and hiding the light, that would be ridiculous. Nobody does that. Jesus is calling his disciples to live a life of being the salt and being light, to be filled with purity and direction, to glorify God as salt and as a light. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Because people are watching you. They're impressed with how we respond, how we serve. And when they are, then they can give glory to God and God gets the glory in heaven. And, you know, this is actually the first time in the New Testament where God is called our Father. I know in the Old Testament, He's the creator and the sustainer, and He becomes the redeemer. But this is the first time in the New Testament God is called Father. That we, he, He's adopted us. So we give glory to Him. And if, if God has been revealed to us, then it's our job to reflect that to the world. The job description of a fully devoted follower is not fulfilled in your private, personal holiness. Yes, it's good to have devotions. Yes, it's good to have spiritual disciplines, but it goes beyond that, that we have to be this witness out in the world to shine as the lights and to be the salt It's not enough just to keep it private. Jesus is calling his followers to live their faith with public exposure. I got another email this week. I want to share it with you. This is from one of our dear families here in the church who lost one of their teenage sons to cancer two years ago. And their loss and their grief have not, I mean, they can't be measured. They can never regain what they've lost. And, And they've turned their energy towards launching a website to find a cure for the disease that took their son, Tim. And so I got this from the mom, Petra. And she said, so here I am. I figured out by now that God wants us to spread his word. Too many things have happened in the last two years that could never have happened without God. So would you please pray for us? Please pray for us launching of a new website for our Live for Others Foundation. Please pray for my heart that I can be at peace with God and that I can be a channel for Him. Please pray for my husband and my other son that they might find that same peace. Please pray for the doctors and for the two research projects that are going right now that they might find a cure so that other families can have a cure 
that was too late for our son, Tim. Please pray for us to surrender to be the light for his glory. Let's pray for him. Dear Jesus, this little family has suffered a great loss. And in the midst of that, instead of turning away from you, they have waited before you. And they are trying to turn something beautiful out of this, their broken hearts. Thank you that you are the master at doing that. And so we pray for, for Petra and Peter and their whole little family that you would just continue to sustain them and carry them through the valley of the shadow of death, that you would use this deep hurt in their life to help heal others, that they would continue to look and see the hand of God working in their hearts and in their lives and in their situation, and that you would help uh, the doctors and the research to find a cure. And more than that, that you would help as well to keep this little family strong and focused on you because you are the light of the world and we reflect your light and you're watching us and you're using us to influence society for its good and for God's glory. So may we live for Jesus too. I know there's plenty of people here that have suffered hurts, deep hurts. Some are looking and there's light at the end of the tunnel. Others, there's no light at this point and we just are gonna hang on to Jesus and trust you and live for you. You are the light, so shine in and through us to this world. We pray, amen.